0: You're listening to the Simon Barnett and James Daniels Afternoons podcast from Newstalk ZB.
1: Every second Tuesday, we finish our show with Nathan Wallace, neuroscience educator, very much a sought-after speaker around the country too. He does all things on the developing brain. He joins us. Hello, Nathan. How are you? Hi, Simon. How are you? I'm doing great, mate. Thank you. Really nice to talk to you again. We love this segment with you, so thanks.
0: Oh, come on. I love it too. Is James there with you? Yeah, man. Yep. I am. Uh, I was I just out making no, a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 Simon's sure cup of coffee. Uh, <laughs> Kia ora, Nathan.
1: Nice to talk to you. <laughs> hey, you cool, Nathan, uh, let's talk just before we get, we've got calls already coming in, but just about mm-hmm. young people and their exposure to illegal crimes on the internet, you know, TikToks like this. Do you reckon it should yeah. be more restricted?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in this country, I think the Department of Internal Affairs restricts about 500 um, you know, websites, whereas other countries, I think the average number is about 5,500. So we're right. pretty we're pretty loose about what we let through. I mean, I don't mm. want to say on here sort of stuff that you can that a kid can get online and see to around bestiality and stuff, but it's horrific. I think mm. most parents, if they were aware, I think most parents would say it just uh, in the name of the campaign that's sort of trying to get the, uh, the more restriction is called uh, Make Sense, and it does right. just make sense that our kids shouldn't be exposed to seeing that sort of stuff. I mean, the developing teenage brain, you know, it's, it's sensitive anyway. It's at a critical stage of development, and mm. seeing that sort of being desensitised to that sort of horrific content can really impact on their, in their sense of empathy and really ultimately their ability to form and maintain healthy relationships. Mm. So, yeah. That's, so, I mean, so, I actually thought it might have been already illegal. So I had my eyes open, but I would have thought that, you know, some of that content would have been restricted already.
0: Yeah. Who yeah. declares them as illegal? Who makes that decision? Because um, if there's I only 500...
2: The, the, yeah, something to the Department of Internal Affairs. So I think right. they make that decision. I'm not sure what the exact process is, but okay. they're the people that we're, that we're dealing with to try and sort of lobby and get some public support on site to try and um, yeah, make people aware.
0: You've talked about the effect that uh, these uh, risky trends have on a child's uh, brain, but do young kids actually think about how much trouble they'll get into or is it the approval of their friends that's more important?
2: Well, I wonder more, I worry more, really, that um, they're, they're a bit clever at the internet than we are. So I don't think they get caught most of the time. You know, yeah. um, I, mean, I had nanny nets and all that sort of stuff on to my kids, but they always found ways around it. So mm. I think if it's there, they can get access to it. So I don't think I don't think they do worry a lot, because I think my feeling is that probably 99% of the time they get away with it, and we don't know about it.
0: Mm. Oh, I'm right, yeah.
1: Nathan, the calls are coming in. We've got one here. Johnny's been very patient. Hi, Johnny. Oh, kia ora, kia
3: ora. Um, Hi Nathan Um, I have a child with um, What's called a nonsense disorder Um, So he has a very rare genetic Disorder which has caused him to have Developmental delays Intellectual disability Everything on the autism spectrum Um, He's four now He's only just got his um, His gene arraying Results, whereas previously, as you said last week About children that, um, have a, a neurodivergence of significance Which is a deleted gene that people, you know You don't even identified what the disorder is So no. Targo University's team identified um, him As having Janssen's DeVries syndrome um, okay. So in short, he's, he's got um, part of his genes deleted And okay. his, his DNA mixed up um he's a little bit too verbal and too clever for the special school um, where it's uh you know fully all the kids have got special needs and and so on and he's he's dysfunctional enough I guess you could say that um, he couldn't fit into a mainstream class even with a buddy so we're in the process of looking for schools we've got Oranga Tamariki in between um, but my specific question is my my oldest boy has a a two-year-old brother who has no disorder. He's thriving, doing mm-hmm. well. But the, the, the agency OT is, is claiming that, that it would do the boys harm to spend more than a couple of hours a fortnight um, together.
1: Wow, that's a very complicated mm. situation. Thank you, Johnny. What yeah. do, what do you reckon about that, Nathan?
2: You're oh, right, it's a very complicated situation. You have to find out what their motivation is for thinking that it's going to be damaging to spend more than a couple of hours together because it doesn't sound like um, Johnny's son, you know, he, I mean, he's verbal and he's, um, he's mm. like I he said, he's, um, he's got a few more abilities than we would expect of a child that's severely um, damaged mm. um, or severely, I shouldn't say damaged and, you know, interrupted in their development. So, yeah, it's a mm. very hard question to answer. I'd, I'd want to know what is their motivation and specifically want to know why do you think it's damaging and then address those specific concerns about why it's damaging. You know, because they may have the best child's best interests at heart. I'm sure they do. But they it needs to be explained to Johnny why that is, because it's really making no sense to him.
1: Oh,
2: and I it think that sound very... rather bizarre.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good answer, Johnny. That's Take that back to OT and put those questions to them. I think that'll be very helpful. Yeah. Thank you for calling. Amy, hi there.
2: G'day, how you doing?
1: Good, thanks. Nathan. standing good,
2: by. Thanks. Hi, Nathan, how you doing? Hi, Amy, good, cheers. <laughs> Good. Hey Nathan, I'm a mum of five-year-old twin boys. Um, and I love them to pieces, they're full of energy, but my biggest struggle I have is they just do not listen to anything when I ask them to do things. Like they're listening, but they're choosing not to <laughs> do as I ask. Okay. And I just find myself yelling all the time and I hate what? it and it's draining and talking nicely yep. and that and calmly just doesn't work. What do I do? <laughs> Yeah, I think you're um, telling a story that a lot of parents can you know, r- relate to. And you can fall into the trap of, um, you know, we ask and ask and ask and it doesn't happen, so our voice gets louder and louder, and just like you say, we turn into the screaming parent that we don't want to. So I would choose your battles very carefully, and I would choose just one thing. Choose one thing for a start, but okay, I'm not going to let them, because if we ask them to do something and they don't do it and there's no consequence, it kind of reinforces them doing it again. But you can't possibly take on yeah. everything. So I'd choose whatever is the biggest problem. You know, that might be going to bed or just find what is the biggest problem and then put your resources into following through on that. So that Mm. try not to tell them things that you're not going to follow through on. Choose one thing and go, right, this week, that's we're focusing on, like, you know, when I say it's bedtime, we're going to bed and then have all your resources in place. Have your extended family or your partner ready to, you know, to help and to cover so that nothing's distracted from Uh it and make sure that when you do say, okay, we're going to bed now, that that is followed up by within 10 minutes going to bed. When it might not be going to bed, but whatever the thing it is that you choose that they're not listening to, they just need that one example where mum has followed through on what she said mm. without yelling and without, you know, um, getting upset. But she's just calmly said, no, this is what's going to happen. Because they will actually feel a whole lot more secure if um, if they know that mum's in charge. So I think you're asking the right question. I mean, Like I say, it's a really common problem that we all sort of face.
1: I love that. And pull your resources, deal with one thing and then the next. That's mm. good. We are with Nathan Wallace, neuroscience educator. Hey, Nathan, there's a good text here. It says, guys, can you please ask Nathan, when's he going to tour New Zealand schools again to talk and educate teenagers about the consequences of alcohol and drugs? Our two 20-year-olds came home years ago, and they seemed very informed about everything, thanks to his knowledge.
2: Right, yeah, oh, that's flattering, yeah. I mean, I go whenever the school asks me to, really. I very rarely say no. So, but mm. rather than just sort of say, right, I'm going and doing a tour of schools, it's better to work with the schools and wait until I'm invited. So if they know the school, they think you know that would be really beneficial for the teenagers talk to the school about contacting me and my team and we'll do everything we can to get there. Because I think they're right, the teenagers do seem to take on the information because it's given in sort of a, a non-judgmental way. I don't, I don't talk down to them, I don't tell them you should, you should, you should. I just say, here's the research-based information. And they do seem to respond to that approach really well and a lot of them make really good informed decisions after that
1: on that research i was you know like we're always told in new zealand part of our binge drinking culture is the six o'clock swill but also it's it's ingrained because we're so uneducated when it comes to alcohol and they said if you look at france they teach their children how to drink from a very young age and then i read this research that said that's entirely incorrect the earlier you introduce alcohol to your youngsters lives they will probably develop more uh, into big heavy drinkers what's your take on that
2: yeah, exactly what that research says. The earlier you validate um, alcohol, which is, say, drinking alcohol with your child, the more statistical chance they'll have a problem with alcohol.
1: Mm. Well, which does, which with makes them. sense. That makes sense. So sure. so you but, wouldn't ad- advocate parents. A lot of parents I used to grow up with, they said, oh, no, give your kids alcohol at 13 so you can have a sip of dad's beer or mum's wine or whatever, and it's a good way to teach some sensible drinking. You don't agree?
2: No, I think maybe if you live in France that works. Because in yeah. France, the average number of drinks that they have when they go out for an evening if you ask, what's the average number of drinks that's socially acceptable? In France, the average number in most of Europe comes back as three. They think three mm. drinks is what you have when you go out for the night. If you ask that same question in New Zealand, the average number comes back as 13. We, we, yeah. we think 13. So we're a binge drinking culture. So when you wow. sit, when you when when your French kid has a shandy with you um, and you've validated alcohol, they go out into a world where no one's going to abuse it and no one's going to have more than three drinks. Whereas wow. when you have alcohol with a teenager in New Zealand, um, you're validating going into that out into that culture. We're going to be 13 drinks where we have crate day and and you know 21 shots for your 21st and all this alcohol abuse stuff. So it's very very different. We can't really compare else with France.
1: Interesting. So what do you say to a 13 year old that says, "Can I have a sip of your beer, Dad, or your wine, Mum?"
2: I say, "Absolutely not. You're not 18 years old. It's poisonous to the developing brain. Mm. There's no way I would give you that."
1: Good on you. Love that. <laughs> just
2: be, yeah, it just be flat.
1: No
0: way. Okay, with the three three drink uh, limit, finally my French fucker pup is coming through. Thank you to <laughs> Jean Morel. Thank you. Hey, uh, got a text here. <laughs> Hi Nathan. My twenty-two year old daughter used to sleep all through the night until recently. Now she's waking up in her crib and crying hard until she's picked up and gets into bed with me and the wife. If I let her cry it out, it'll last half an hour until she goes back down, but can wake up an hour or so later and repeat. How do I break this cycle? And when is it too old to be in a crib in our room? Probably 16.
2: (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm a bit of of an advocate of co-sleeping and stuff. You know, most of the world do co-sleep, and they sleep in the same room, so it's not that bizarre. Did you say the child was 22 months old? Yes. Yeah. I think um, usually around this age, between this age and three, children often learn to cope with fear. So it's normal at this age to start having night terrors and to start having nightmares and stuff. So I wouldn't leave her crying for half an hour because, as as the person said, it just results in them waking up an hour later. So I would go in and try and um, calm her down in her own bedroom um, and maybe um, jump into bed with her and stroke her hair and get her to calm down and go back to sleep. I think if you do that, you might only have to do that for a few weeks, maybe a month, and her sleeping cycles might return back to normal. It could just be a, a... part of her natural development as her brain learns to deal with fear. That's
1: very normal around that age. Okay, Excellent. Michelle, thank you very much for waiting.
3: Hi, thank you. My question for Nathan is that uh, ADHD is very strong in my family. I have it and I'm sure my seven-year-old daughter has it too. And I'm just wondering Mm -hmm. if there are any things that improve her executive function and her ability to focus at school outside of medication. She doesn't really have any behavioural issues. The the problem is if she's in a group, um, learning in a group, she can't actually focus on what she's doing because she's just too distracted by all the noises and the other conversations going on.
2: Right, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be absolutely opposed to education, but I wouldn't be running towards it either. It's something that you just have, it's a nuanced decision they have to make as a parent. It doesn't sound like you're having a huge issue with it. Now, my personal yeah. view is that ADHD is a superpower if you know how to manage it, but she does need to be able to focus in the group. I, I might practice things like mindfulness with her. Like at, um, the, at the dinner table, every night before we have dinner, we stop and we do 30 seconds or 60 seconds of um, silent, controlled breathing or you're, you're counting out loud to make sure the breathing's slow. Um, Anything that teaches her to stop and settle and calm herself down because that's probably the skill she needs to establish to then to be able to focus on the rest of the group. She's being overwhelmed by all the different content coming in. I mean, I think that's part of the brilliance of ADHD. She's able to take in 10 times much more information than everybody else. But we need to turn that into a superpower rather than a disability. And that comes from learning to kia to, to calm herself down. And that can be All as right. simple as, you know, it won't work if we just wait until she's overwhelmed and then say, right, do your control. You know. But if she's doing that every day, I, you know, I say before dinner, but any ritual of time, every day, yeah. then she's, she's creating a place in her mind where she knows where to go to when she's calm. And she'll do that best with you. So doing it in partnership with you just before dinner, 60 seconds of calming ourselves down, controlling our breathing, quietly counting our breathing, she will start to develop that calm, clear place. And then when she's getting over-distracted in a group, she can go back to that. So yeah, I'd focus on okay. some mindfulness.
3: Oh, that, That's brilliant. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks
1: Michelle. Great question. Mm. Nathan, we, uh, we start every week. We've got calls and texts up the wazoo here, but we're out of time, mate. Thank you so much for chatting again and sharing your expertise oh, with us. I love it. Yeah, yeah well, you, we guys. do Thanks too. For me. Go well, Nathan. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you, mate. Okay, Nathan you too. Wallace, neuroscience educator, back with us in a fortnight. For
0: more from Simon Barnett and James Daniels Afternoons,
1: listen live to News Talks or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio.